Well, I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Romans 12, 9 to 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, there is one provided for you in the back of the pew right there in front of you. You'll find this passage on page 803 or 844 of the pew Bible, depending on which printing of that you have. It's Romans 12, 9 to 16. And we're making a brief departure from our series on Acts for obvious reasons, I suppose, since everyone's attention is elsewhere. We've just come through Hurricane Florence as uh, sort of all of our reflections have been about this morning. One of the most destructive hurricanes of our lifetime, I suppose, and uh, we've experienced the worst flooding in North Carolina history, uh, or at least our region has. Um, our city is in the early stages of recovery. Other towns around the region can't even begin to think about recovery yet because they're still under floodwaters. In fact, in some of those cases, I guess those floodwaters are still even rising in some of those communities. And events like these have a way of of changing our perspective, as Dean alluded to earlier, uh, adjusting our priorities at least temporarily. And so our attention is just arrested by the impacts of this storm. And in many, in many places, those impacts are severe, unimaginable almost. Property damage estimates uh, are sort of a moving target at this point, but I think over... $20 billion estimated the property damage will be. There have been, I think, to date, 32 deaths, um, thousands displaced from their homes. And then, you know, there are impacts to, to things like agricultural in ways we, we maybe haven't even thought about all that much, but uh, farms ruined. Um, the economic, economic impact of that to our uh, region is probably yet to be determined, but will be felt. And, uh, and partly from those agricultural impacts, we know there are environmental impacts. Um, in our, the hog and poultry uh, farming just up the road in particular, as those areas are flooded and what uh, washes downstream creates all kinds of environmental impacts. It's... it's severe in many places around us. And, and yet, as we've kind of already considered, I think many of us here in sitting in this room and living in Wilmington and maybe especially in the Monkey Junction area, we have the sense that we were spared from something that could have been much worse. Here's the sense in which this was our hurricane. I mean, the eye made Landfall here, right? Went right over us. That's, that's when I took the dog out. I don't know about you, you know? The, <laughs> the rain and the wind stopped just long enough for the dog to get a little break, you know? It was right over us. It's our storm. And yet, when it passed, we walked out and said, how could it be that all around us it wasn't worse than it is for us? And so the question is, what will we do with that? What will we do with this moment? Will we simply be survivors of the storm who get our power back 
we get our yards cleaned up and just go on about business as usual? Or will we be stewards of the storm who tend this moment to see that God is glorified and that his people are edified? That's the topic of this morning's message, stewarding the storm. The text is Romans 12, 9 through 16. So let's look there together now. And I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 9, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we do have a sense today that it is somehow an extra special privilege to be together, to be in your house assembled to worship you, and to hear from you, Lord, what you would say to us at this hour We can perhaps more sincerely than um, often is the case, we, we can say you have our attention. And so we are sitting ready to hear what you have to say from the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would make them live to us today. To speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The, the book of Romans, you may know, is, uh, I think most would agree, the most comprehensive theological writing in the New Testament. It is dense and weighty. Um, Paul explains in some detail that all have sinned and that salvation through Christ is entirely by grace. And that even though we continue to have a sin problem after we have repented and after we've believed in him and after we've been forgiven, Even though we continue to have a sin problem, God continues to be gracious and merciful to to us. His grace is greater than all our sin. And it continues to be that Christ's righteousness is credited to us because we don't have righteousness that we bring to God on our own. Those are sort of the major themes of the first eight chapters of the book of Romans 
there's much more than that, and that uh, summary does a real injustice to the book of Romans, but I'm not here to teach you the whole book of Romans today. But, it, but it, those are the major themes in the first eight chapters, and then chapters 9 through 11 discuss the particular relevance of the gospel to the Jewish people. And then, and then beginning in chapter 12, Paul outlines the various practical implications of those theological truths. So this is typical of Paul in his letters that um, he, would, he would outline in some uh, uh, depth what it is that we believe. And then in the latter part, maybe the second half of a letter in some cases, how we are to live in light of what we believe. And that's the case beginning in chapter 12 of Romans. He begins to say, in other words, that those who believe all of these dense and weighty truths of chapters 1 through 11 ought to live accordingly. That if we've received the free gift of grace through Jesus, we ought to live accordingly. That's the context of this passage that we just read in in Romans 12, 9 through 16, where, where he's opening up this sort of practical application of this. And, and, and he's speaking, of course, um, universally. In, in other words, that, that this is always the way Christians ought to live. He, he lists, I didn't actually count them. I meant to go back and count them. But probably in this eight verses, there are somewhere around 20 imperatives for believing life that always ought to be true, that always ought to characterize Christians. I'm particularly interested in examining those this morning in our immediate context of having just come through this storm and again, seeing all of the wreckage that it's left. And so we'll see in this text that for our church, stewarding this storm will involve Number one, loving one another like family. Number two, feeling with others what they feel. And number three, serving others with abundant compassion. So let's look first at the fact that stewarding the storm, that is tending to the moment we've been given here, involves loving one another like family. Verse 9 opens up with this statement, let love be genuine, abhor what's evil, hold fast to what is good. You might say that, that everything that follows it is really um, an expression of what it looks like to love genuinely. You know, and, and it's, the, the word literally here is without hypocrisy. I think that's how it's translated the New, New American Standard. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. Let it be sincere love. You know, I, I suppose, I mean, this is written in the first century to the church at Rome. Probably all people of all times everywhere have known something about insincere love, right? I mean, if it, if it has to be said to love genuinely, then uh, we know what it means to love in a way that's not genuine. I, I think we seem to be especially gifted at that in the South, right? Because we, I mean, we can put on, you know, sugar over... <laughs> Over venom, you know. Bless your heart. Bless, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Bless your heart. That's You can say anything you want if you end it with bless your heart, right? 
Yeah, look at her. She really tries to do something with that hair. She really is trying. She looks like she's wearing a cactus on her head. Bless her heart, you know. I mean, whatever, whatever it is. So we, we, know, we know something about insincere love. Like we, we, we know what that looks like. He says, let love be genuine or without hypocrisy. And then verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Or again, New American Standard says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Paul depicts the church here and elsewhere as a family. And he draws a very close and, and, and undeniable analogy between family and the church. That the relationship between believers is supposed to be uh, not just in a symbolic way, but in a real and organic way, supposed to be like family relationships. We're supposed to love one another that way. And you know, even family members who aggravate us when the chips are down, when things are up against us or them, we're there for them, right? I mean, we, we love family differently than we love other people. In fact, uh, some evacuated Wilmington and went elsewhere during the hurricane because of family. So particularly parents who have, you know, children at home, you know, school-aged children or small children thought in the interest of family, if there was any question otherwise, we need to leave. There are other people, uh, maybe um, older adults who have grown children who, who left and evacuated Wilmington because your family insisted that you do so. In fact, some of them uh, aren't even back yet because their children haven't let them come back probably. Their children have not given them permission to drive back to Wilmington yet. But we, we love family. In other words, this is, this is very current, <laughs> sort of immediate in, in even how we've lived the last couple of weeks. We love family in a special way. You make decisions for the good of family. You prioritize in the interest of family. You sacrifice for the sake of family. And the church is family. The church is family. That's, that's the way the Bible depicts it. And I realize we live in an era when many churches have dispensed with the idea of church membership or anything, any, anything like it even. I don't, as I've said in our new members class, I don't care whether you call it membership or call it something else. But what, what the New Testament describes is a relationship among believers that involves mutual commitment and mutual accountability. Now again, we call that membership. You can call it something else uh, otherwise. But being... Um, you know, being just sort of like loosely uh, connected, you know, your, your, your thumb is joined to the hand. It's not retractable. And if you lose it, you'll miss it. And, you know, church, uh, church relationships are described in that kind of way, joined to one another, committed to one another, accountable to one another, in the ways that we uh, might be for family. One, a, a relationship in which I can say, I'm with you and I'm not gonna leave you. And there are 
as you're probably well aware, storm-related needs arising in the lives of church members. Um, they, they, needs that well, actually some are still arising. Some people are just becoming aware of because they just got back home, right? So some we've been attending to over the last week and some have just come back to discover what is sort of reality on the ground. But needs continue to emerge and we should respond to them as we would if, if they were our own family because they are love one another with brotherly affection, Paul says. And so some of the ways we've been doing that this week and there's continued need to do is cleaning up yard debris. We've had, we've had crews out working, pretty small crews. We'd love for them to be uh, more crews and larger crews uh, working to you know cut up trees and tree limbs and that sort of thing, haul them to the curb and be sure those are uh, taken care of and any other variety of various and sundry needs, but they are, they are family and we ought not to rest until they're taken care of. Love one another with brotherly affection. And number two, stewarding the storm involves feeling with others what they're feeling. We, we call that empathy, right? That's what the word we would use for that. Feeling with people what they're feeling. Not just feeling sorry for them, but feeling it with them. One of the immediate challenges uh, for, I think for me and many of us, is that there's, there's such a wide variety of feelings depending on how people were affected by the hurricane, right? So to feel with people right now is sort of a, a really broad spectrum of feelings going on. Many of us have experienced ourselves the conflicted feeling of being so thankful as we've uttered this morning. Being so thankful that we were spared from destruction or even significant damage while being so heartbroken by the fact that others have experienced utter devastation. Right? I mean, some, some lost nothing, not even power. I know the names of some people. There's a few. I won't even tell you who they are because it <laughs> might be an angry mob form, you know. But some lost nothing and others lost everything. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Is it, is it okay to be thankful and express thanksgiving and praise while others are suffering. Well, it's not only okay, it's commanded. Even if we still are left feeling conflicted about it. There are more places than we can count in the Bible where we're commanded to praise the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord, right? In all things, give thanks. Or as it says here, we're commanded to rejoice. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Those three go together, rejoicing, being patient, being constant in prayer. One of the reasons we can be patient in tribulation is because we have hope. As a matter of fact, the way that I, you know, sort of reflecting on this 
I suppose without hope, you couldn't be patient, really, in tribulation. You could live through it. <laughs> you, could, you could go on, you know, waking up and walking through the day and going back to sleep again and just sort of surviving. But you, I don't know that you could really call it being patient in tribulation if you didn't have hope in something. You know, there are uh, people... Maybe not in your immediate neighborhood. Maybe not most of the people in Wilmington, but again, people not far away from us in all of the adjacent counties who are without hope. Especially those who went through this two years ago with Hurricane Matthew. Haven't even totally re rebuilt from that. And here they go again. They're just without hope. And again, even though it might, might feel conflicting, it may be for some, of the, for some of them, the way that hope will be restored is to be around those who have it and rejoice in it. Who feel with them what they're feeling and yet rejoice in hope. You know, Paul, I'm, I'm sure here, is referring to hope of, on a... Uh, sort of a grander and more f final scale, the, the hope of the appearing of Jesus Christ, you know, this sort of final return where he'll come and usher uh, in the end of this age and the, and the beginning of the next and so forth. The tribulation he is referring to likely being that tribulation people experience for just being believers, you know. So it's a much more far-reaching, perhaps longer-term sort of hope that he's describing and yet that same Savior <laughs> is the one in whom we have hope in, in the more immediate and smaller ways like we're uh, encountering now. And yet there's a sense in which as long as you're on this side of the grave, there's still hope. In fact, for the believer, even on the other side of the grave, it's hope that's been realized. But for people who are still standing, in spite of what the circumstances are, there is still hope. And, they, and theirs will be restored by those of us who rejoice in hope. Verse 15 says again about rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We not only rejoice in hope, but we, we rejoice with those who rejoice. But we weep with those who weep. As I said, you know, there are... There are people at both ends of that continuum, right? right? Right around us. Rejoicing because they lost nothing. Others weeping because they lost everything. Paul echoes this uh, thought in 1 Corinthians 12, 20, 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if we're doing this with one another, this is going to wring our heart out to go, just sort of to live back and forth between this range of emotion with people, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep, because we know stories of people in both categories. But, but, but here's, here, here's one of the things we need to 
we need to take hold of and not, and not let go of is knowing that there are people weeping and knowing that we are commanded to weep with them, knowing that we're commanded to suffer with people who suffer. Here's what we need to do. Stay close to the pain. Stay close to the pain. Because most of us didn't experience a lot of that, right? That's what we're celebrating. We didn't experience a lot of pain. And the risk is for everything just to return to normal. Again, power's back on. Got Wi-Fi, cable, back to work, yards cleaned up. And I can just move on. I didn't feel much pain in the first place. And what I did feel is all gone now. And I can just get on back to normal. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm saying that to me as much as I am to you because that's exactly what feels automatic for us to do. But if we are going to love in an abiding way, if we're going to love one another that way, to weep with those who weep for as long as they are weeping, stay close to the pain. If you haven't been close to it, get close to it. And then stay close to it. Because if we're going to steward this opportunity we've been given, that's going to involve feeling with people what they feel. And finally, it's going to involve serving others with abundant compassion. Verse 11 uh, says, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Do not be lulled into inactivity is a way of saying that. Do not be lulled into inactivity. And, and again, Paul's talking about all, this is the lifestyle of a believer always that ought to be true. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's especially true for us now. And then verse 13 says specifically one of the ways that we can serve the Lord is through our service to others. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Saints here, of course, referring to all believers. Uh, the, the New Testament, I'm saying just parenthetically for those who come out of a Catholic background, uh, the New Testament doesn't use the word saints the way you might be accustomed to it in the Catholic Church. It's just a word to refer to believers, those who are set apart and made holy by the holiness of Jesus. But contribute to the needs of saints. The, the particular concern of this passage, verses 9 through 16 here, is actually um, how we live with one another as believers. This is really the church relating to the church. But in an hour like this, the need is, is so vast. We need to just love so lavishly. And so indiscriminately that others are blessed just by being in the same proximity with believers. That unbelievers, just because they live on our street, <laughs> as we respond in love to one another so lavishly and indiscriminately, others ought to be blessed by that. When I think of this 
concept, I'm reminded of something um, Augustine wrote in a book called uh, On Christian Doctrine. And he wrote about love in a particular section about um, how do we decide who we should give aid to? Who should we love? And I'm going to actually paraphrase uh, this to some extent just because of the the language of some of it. But he he makes this point that all men are to be loved equally. For for the Christian, we're commanded to love all men equally. But, But you can't love everybody because most people live on the other side of the world. Right? I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't come into contact with all men. We come into contact with a small population that happens to live where we live. He says, you know, suppose you had something of great value and you felt compelled to uh, give it away, but you could only give it to one person. It was not the sort of thing you could divide among others. And if two people presented themselves to you as equally worthy recipients of it, but you couldn't give it to both. You could do nothing better than to cast lots, he says, to decide which one's going to give, uh, get what you can only give to one. And so he, he says that so it is among men, since you cannot do good to all, we kind of have to accept the matter as decided for us by, by kind of a casting of lots. That by, by a, a sort of a function of, of time, and place and circumstance, certain people have been brought into closer connection with us as if God has just cast lots for us and chosen who it is we'll love. Well, in the time of September 2018, in the place of southeastern North Carolina and in the circumstance of Hurricane Florence, a certain subpopulation of people has now been brought into closer connection with us. People that we don't know personally and might never cross paths with, we have somehow an interest in right now in a closer way because they've experienced, to some extent, what we've experienced. They've been through the same storm we've been through, although been impacted maybe in greater or lesser ways. They've been brought into closer connection with us And we ought to just love them lavishly. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. See a need and meet it if you can. Do something to help somebody Again, there's, there are things that we're, we're sort of stirring up. I've already mentioned uh, lawn care, debris removal sort of things. Um, you can donate items. Uh, there's a list that maybe many of you received coming in. If you didn't get one, you can get it going out. It went out by email, a list of items that we're encouraging people to donate so that we can distribute them through relief organizations. Um, some, of, some of you uh, have it in your power to even deliver those items. Some of you could volunteer um, at Vigilant Hope or um, any number of other places. It doesn't have to be even ones going through our church. There's a lot. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of response going on to that need. Um, Do something in response is sort of the message. Do what it's in your power to do. Now, we acknowledge 
all of us have limited uh, resources. We've got limited time and, and even limited physical capabilities, right? Not everybody can operate a chainsaw and drag tree limbs to the curb. Everybody sitting here, I think, the, by, just by the fact that you've made it here and you're seated in church, it is within your power to buy a jar of peanut butter or baby diapers or tarps or things that people need and drop them off the next time you come to the, uh, to the church. None of us should feel obligated to do what is not in your power to do. But neither should you feel justified in not doing what it is in your power to do. You can find people with vast need all around, but most likely not in your living room. So the, the call is for us to get up and out and stay close to the pain and pour out your compassion upon it until the pain is gone. In very short order, the news media will leave and most of the politicians will be right behind them. And that's <laughs> probably a good thing. Actually, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, but hey, you know, fair enough and just as well, right? Because this is our city and these are our neighbors and the responsibility to care for them is ours. And, and the eyes of people from all over the country are on southeastern North Carolina right now. And the compassion of millions of people from outside of our region is pointed right at us. As relief efforts continue to unfold, we can either be participants or spectators. And we would hope, of course, never again to see devastation on the scale that we're seeing it right now. But we may also never see another opportunity like this devastation presents. An opportunity for the church to love the way the church is called to love. An opportunity for the church to serve the way the church is called to serve. An opportunity for our church to be a church beyond that we've been prodding ourselves to be the whole calendar year of 2018. The question then is, will you be simply a survivor of the storm or will you be a steward? Let's pray together. Father, we again just praise you. There is so much we have to be thankful for and we, we do thank, thank you, Lord. We count every good and perfect gift as coming down from the Father of lights. And as Peter said, uh, Lord, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Lord, would you help us to see our limited damage, our speedy recovery, our relatively good station in the scheme of things, to see all of that as a gift that we're commanded to steward. Show us, Lord, where we can get close to the pain and stay close to the pain. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, but weeping with those who weep until the weeping stops.
And Lord, as we do, and as others do all over our community, God, would you be lifted up? Glorify yourself in these circumstances and through our church and through me. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.